Good morning, everybody. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, you could be turning to the book of Acts, uh, chapter 4. Uh, my, name, my name is Dan. I'm another of the elders of the church. It's not essential to have a, blue, a light blue hoodie to be in leadership of City Church Sheffield, but it would appear that this morning it helps. Um, Richard will gladly take donations. Uh, we have, as a church, been looking through the book of Acts in the New Testament for a few weeks now, and we've arrived in chapter 4. I'm going to read the section that begins in verse 23. And if you don't have a Bible with you, I guess you can look over someone's shoulder, or you can follow on the screen uh, above the stage. So Acts chapter 4, reading from verse 23, says this. On their release... Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. Why do the nations rage? And the peoples plot in vain. The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. We are going to be looking today at the the kind of corporate prayer life of God's people, right, at the earliest stage here uh, in the book of Acts. We've seen that before on a couple of occasions in chapter 1. They're praying about who should replace Judas. In chapter 2, we could imagine they've gathered again to pray, and on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes and interrupts proceedings dramatically. They receive the Spirit in a powerful way that's witnessed by by many people gathering round. Peter preaches that day and 3,000 people are added to the church. So a massive crowd uh, gathered. Prayer has been one of their distinctives. It's been a characteristic of this new, this new group of believers in Jesus. And so, uh, as Chris referenced just a, a little while ago, uh, when looking at the end of chapter 2, we saw on that occasion that the the, the believers were devoting themselves to a number of things, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, to be devoted, to be totally inseparable from. This is a massive priority for them, and it's an explanation to us as to how did the church grow. Uh, and it grew through this vibrant prayer life in all sorts of different situations. And here we have another, another example of God's people praying. So that's our focus today. Sometimes when we approach the subject of prayer, um, the, the, the focus can be individual. And, and so the, the preacher might feel they need to kind of throw out kind of tips and, 
advice on, on personally how to pray. Um, and, and so prayer is one of those subjects which is like almost dangerous to touch upon. And, uh, and I wonder if there's some of you just already feeling that kind of wave of I should be doing better in this whole area. Prayer is just one of those things. It's like just talking about evangelism or talking about marriage. It's like we never quite arrive at the perfect way of doing things. And so if we're not careful, we can just feel a bit under pressure and so on. That's not the purpose today. The purpose is not to kind of just feel weighed down um, by pressure. The idea is to see what we're being called into and to be excited about it. Um, so as a, with a focus on the, the church praying, and as Chris mentioned earlier on, uh, the church, uh, we, this church, will be gathering tonight uh, to pray. We do that, uh, well, most Sunday evenings, half past seven. So can I just take the pressure off this evening? Okay, if you are not free this evening, you're not able to come, please don't stress about it. The, the, the point of this is not just to try and G up one prayer meeting that we have in the life of the church. Okay? So come if you want to. You don't have to come. There'll be loads of opportunities to pray uh, because it's important. Um, and, and really, this church, we, we learned a lot about prayer through my predecessor, previous lead elder of uh, the church. And uh, he led us in praying, gathered the church to pray. And he didn't do that by like cracking a whip and saying, come on, Christians, this is your duty and your obligation. Where were you the other week? Come on, crack on. We need to, you know, it wasn't the hard sell. It wasn't loss of pressure. Actually, it began with like spiritually inspired reverse psychology. Uh, for those who've been around the church sometime, there'll be some wry smiles in the room right now because you kind of remember. Uh, this church was not renowned for praying. And I think he realized that when he came and realized, I, I don't know if there was a prayer meeting at that point or if there was a prayer meeting and hardly anyone came. You can, maybe you can check out with Mary later on uh, or someone else who looks mature. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> it's easy to get things wrong. When you don't script your sermons, I've got to press on. <laughs> so how it began was like this. Arnold wanted to gather some people to pray, pray, so he invited a few people over. Other people caught wind of it and said, could, could we come as well? And he said, no, you, you can't come to the prayer meeting. So our life as a church in prayer began by the lead elder saying, you can't come. And then after a while, kind of the, in that sense, pressure or desire or demand started to grow. People started to hear the sorts of things that might be said, that might be prayed about, and that might happen when this little group of people prayed. And people were outraged that they couldn't come. They demanded to come. So after a while, a few more were let in. That's fast forward, I don't know how long that process took, whether it was weeks or months or a year. But then after a while, you've got a church that wants to pray. Not a church that's been told it has to. Well, we're seeing something of that here. A, a, a people who aren't being told to pray, it's, it's a kind of impulse. It's a reflex. It's what happens. They, they hear this report back from Peter and John, who have just been threatened by the highest authorities in their nation to no longer preach and speak in the name of Jesus. 
And their response is to go back to uh, some of, or if not all of, the believers in Jerusalem and tell them what happened. And their enthusiasm to pray doesn't have to be drummed up. It's just what happens. Verse 24, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. So there's not really a hint of of reluctance. There's a, a, a big hint of eagerness and desire. And it's interesting to see, both here in Scripture and sometimes through our experience as a church, how momentum to pray together develops through times of crisis, tends not to come at times of, of ease where everything is straightforward and predictable and everything's comfortable and, 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 and kind of matter of fact. It can come when there are times of crisis. And in every crisis then, God is testing and strengthening his people to pray. And every crisis then becomes opportunity. It becomes opportunity to encounter God hear from him afresh, and believe for more than we've seen already. And there are so many benefits to praying together and hearing other people pray out. So as we were just kind of uh, coming down to break bread, just able to say thank you to a few people who've led us out um, today already. You know, thank you again to Terry. Um, thank you for, for Anne who brought that tongue that, that Tracy interpreted. Thank you to Louise who brought something. And there's something I think I've observed... Maybe this is just my own experience, my own reflection. There's something that happens, I think, that's profoundly encouraging when you hear uh, other people praying out. And I, I won't press the, uh, the maturity line too much, but when someone has been a believer for many years and they're older than you are, and they've been walking with God for a long time. You can bet they've been through many dangers. What are the other words? Toils and snares. I've come through a lot already, and I'm still going. And I'm trusting God, and I'm believing him. So there's something that happens in here. There's something that happens for my benefit when I hear my older brothers and sisters pray out. Yeah, younger ones, you encourage me too. Well done, Gracie and Sam for kicking us off so well this morning with that psalm. But you want to treasure those moments. And your faith and your walk with God will be benefited, will be strengthened as you hear your brothers and sisters praying out in their words, expressing their trust in God. I was saying to someone recently, um, your trust in God's not straightforward. It's not always simple. We could think that trusting God is something that we totally achieve in just one moment of life. And there is that time, isn't there, where we come first of all to express our trust in God and his son, the Lord Jesus, as our saviour, who died and rose again so that we could be forgiven and know him in this life, receive the Holy Spirit and look forward to eternity with him. There is that first time where we believe it for ourselves and we express it out of our own mouths. I trust, I believe, and I'm going to follow God. But it's a life's project, it's a life's work. Your life's work, however long you've been a believer, is to trust God. And there'll be more toils and snares and other things. There'll be other stuff that we go through. 
As Chris was just praying for family life, you know, there'll be highs, there'll be lows, there'll be everything in between. Our mission is to be a people who are thoroughly trusting God and who, who, for whom our reflex, come what may, is to gather together with other believers and say, we, we trust you, Lord. We believe you. It's got really rocky. These times are hard for me and my family, or these times are hard in life. This time is hard for this church, or times are hard in this nation, or times are hard in the whole world, but you are God. You're on the throne, and we're trusting you. And as elders, we just felt specifically that this is a time for us to get praying afresh. Uh, a while ago, I was looking through the book of Nehemiah, a time when they were, God's people had returned from exile and were rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem, a city, that God's city, the city of God that had fallen into complete and utter ruin. And there's a few people now banding together and they have built the wall. And in chapter 8, there's this day where Ezra reads the law, gets the, the word of God and reads it. And the people are cut to the heart, really, because they realize, oh, there's so many ways over the last 70-odd years or more where we, God's people, have totally blown it. Nehemiah stands up, and what he does is says, this is not the day for mourning. This is a time to rejoice. Look at what God is doing. Let's gather together. And it might be a bit superficial, but for us, one... One thing that inspired was just thinking, I think, I think the church just needs to have some fun. I think we need to gather. That's why I was behind the staycation. Obviously, uh, with the Queen's passing away, we, we changed things a little bit, gathered to pray uh, on one night. And so maybe there's just that hint that there's a little bit more fun to be had. Because we didn't quite get to that fun night, did we, Jim? So uh, you know, maybe there's something in, who knows what we'll do. This is unplanned. But it's good to have some fun. It's good together and laugh. To get together and laugh, to have a quiz, to remember that we're family together. That's really special. In, in Nehemiah, you get through one more chapter and then the people do gather. And they fast. And they pray. And they worship. And they confess their sin. There is a time just to seek God. And maybe say, as a people, as a nation, we've blown it. So many ways in which we have fallen short as your church, O oh God. Now come, come amongst us. Let us be the people you'd have us to be in every single area of life. So there's a call on us to pray. That's, that's why we felt we would just adjust our own program as a church a little bit. And so rather than doing a variety of different things on a, on a Sunday evening, we thought we're just going to do one thing on a Sunday evening. We're going to gather and we're going to pray. We're going to seek the Lord together. Um, that's what we're going to do. It'd be bizarre. What sort of church of the risen Lord Jesus Christ doesn't pray? If there are churches that don't pray, if, if there are churches who would might read through uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and say, that's really interesting, they devoted themselves to pray. I don't think we need to do that. There is a church saying to the Almighty God through silence, we don't need you. We can take things on from here. So if you're, maybe you're not yet a student 
Maybe you're growing up in Sheffield and you live with, with, with mum, live with mum and dad, live with dad, and there comes a time when you leave home and you go to another town, you go to another city. Not everyone has to go to university, by the way, but let's just imagine that's a scenario for you. Or work takes you somewhere else, whatever age you are, and you're finding a church. And if you just get a hint that the leaders of a church are downplaying the importance of prayer, and you might think I'm joking, but I reckon this happens. Giving the impression, oh, we, should be, we should be doing more. You evangelicals who spend time praying, just you're, you're wasting your time. You should be doing more. And maybe it's an apt criticism of the church in the last 70 years. Maybe it could be said the church in the last 70 years hasn't done enough. It could have done more. And maybe that's true right now of, of this particular church. And sometimes that's a conversation that happens. I wish we could do more in this area. And often that's just an expression of passion and desire. That's good. That's no problem. And I think to myself, yes. Oh God, that we, we might fruitfully be about more of your kingdom. But sometimes churches can just feel under pressure. We should have more projects. We should do more programs. It should be more evident what we're doing. And, and do you know what? That our goal as a church is not to do more and pray less. We trust that God will lead us to fruitful ministry, which is really organized or is just happening amongst us and bubbling up in, in our own lives, as we gather together and make it our habit to pray. So if you find a church and prayer is being downgraded, just politely don't go there again. You go find a church which is passionate to speak with and, in, and, and, and be in fellowship with the risen Lord Jesus and seek him. A man called Samuel Chadwick put it this way. Did he used to be at Cliff College? Okay, so Samuel Chadwick in 1930-something said this, and we could all be praying that in maybe 90 or 100 years, someone might be quoting Aaron, who's also now at Cliff College, um, oh, seriously, do it. Um, here's what Samuel Chadwick of Cliff College in 1931 wrote. It takes us long to learn that prayer, this is brilliant, prayer is more important than organisation, more powerful than armies, more influential than wealth, and mightier than all learning. I'm just going to read that again. It takes us long to learn that prayer is more important than organization, more powerful than armies, more influential than wealth, and mightier than all learning. And maybe that's what God wants to teach the church in the UK through many crises, through many toils, dangers, and snares through all the stuff that we might be able to say politically, economically, and so on, has gone wrong. What's the point? The point is God is waking up his church to be a people that believe him, pray, and see the kingdom of God come in a new way and in a new time. Maybe in ways that none of us have ever seen in our own lifetime, a living memory of anyone sat in this room. 
And sometimes it's possible to think, oh, if only, if only church were, more, were, were, were better organized, if only church had a bit more powerful oomph about it, if only the church were more influential, if only the church had more money, if only the church leaders were a bit more clever. I mean, pray as much as you like if you want to. But God's purpose is not to make us wealthy. God's purpose is not to make us comfortable. God's purpose is not to give us everything we think we need ahead of time. God's purpose is to get us praying in faith, believing. This is not something that we just inev inevitably drift into. So it can happen in a number of ways. But the church is called to pray. And I guess in the way that we do it, we might not be helping everyone. Okay? The church that prays in an evening may not be helping absolutely everybody to gather. Uh, some of you might not be old enough uh, to stay up late enough to, at the moment to come to a city church prayer meeting. It doesn't go on too late. Well, as soon as you are, you're very, very welcome. And as soon as your mum or dad thinks it's okay and a good idea, in preparation for a normal Monday, you come along. You'd be very welcome. If you're here visiting, you would be very, very welcome. There's a, even a, a possibility of saying, as much as you've seen the church and been with City Church this morning, you've not really been with the church praying and you've not heard us praying. We're not perfect, we're not brilliant, but you can come and be a part of us. That would be a good way of getting to know the church. Come be with us as we pray. If you've not been for a while, Come, maybe listen to how a few other people pray out and so on, catch the drift. But it's not just something that we're going to drift into, it's something to be intentional with. And, and maybe then, for many, the application today is a little bit about joining a church, coming on a Sunday night if you want to. But it might be around this, it might be as a family. Now again, it could, it could sound like pressure straight away because everyone goes, oh no. As a family, oh, we should be doing so much more. We should be doing so much better. And life can be a bit crazy. Like Joe was describing, you can feel torn in multiple directions at the same time. Don't set the bar like crazily high for yourselves. That's it, kids. The way it's going to work for us is we're going to get up at half past five. And you can have breakfast once we've prayed for an hour. You know, just, just make it a normal part of life, something that isn't unusual. And that can just be like looking forward to the week to come and saying, what's going on with us at the moment? How can we pray for each other? What can we give thanks for? The next time you have that conversation, there'll be other things that you can give thanks for and some of your prayers are answered. And meanwhile, you're, you're training your children. This is, this is part of what we do. We seek God. And you can be praying one one moment and asking, please pass the Marmite the next. It's ordinary life. You're not to feel kind of under pressure, but this is part of our privilege. This is part of the, uh, the opportunity we have before Almighty God. And he's chosen to do things by answering prayer. That's my introduction. And it's 12 o'clock. Okay. What you should start doing... If I continue to warm to my theme, 
is just say amen lots of times really loudly. And then I'll, I'll reckon that you've got the point. My job is done for now and we can grab a coffee. Seriously. Thank you, Nikki. I heard somebody say, keep going. I'm going to take that as the Lord. But I might be a little bit brief. Um, and I guess tonight I got the opportunity to unpack it a little bit more. This will be quite brief. It's not inevitable that we just drift into a habit and a lifestyle of eager, faith-filled prayers. And maybe I'll touch on a few things or maybe I'll just touch on one. But I think it's pretty important to touch on at least one point. And that's to do with us being a people who believe in the sovereignty of God. We believe in the greatness of God. And that forms the bedrock, the foundation of an eager, faith-filled corporate prayer. This is seen in a whole number of ways as this group of people in Acts chapter 4 gather together and raise their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said. It's just fascinating how they begin. Two of the apostles have seen a man healed, been preaching in the temple, and suddenly been dragged before the Sanhedrin, the high priests and the elders, and they have been threatened. On this occasion, I don't think they were beaten, were they? But that happens later. Um, they have been commanded to no longer speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And so as that people starts to gather together in prayer, what's their first focus? What's, what's the majority of their prayer about? They don't request anything through to near the end of the, end of the section in verse 29. So what are they doing? They're praying about how great God is. How sovereign he is. And they touch on a few things. Forgive me for being brief. I'm sure you'll find that quite easy if you regard this as brief. Um, Sovereign Lord, we see that you are the Almighty One. Because we see it, number one, you created everything. It's about time we sang about the narwhal and the sea otter. Thank you, Helen, very much. A God, just remember this, who created absolutely all things, including us. The whole planet upon which we live and revolve all the stars that surround it, everything, the heavens and the earth and the seas. He created absolutely everything and it wasn't difficult for him to do that. He's sovereign. He's sovereign and we see that in the scripture. When they turn to the scripture, they're, they're seeing your word, O oh God, helps us to understand what's going on. Your, and they turn to Psalm chapter 2. Forget, we're not going to go there massively, but tonight... I don't know what we'll pray for completely, but I think it'd be good for us to pray for Justin Welby and the Dean of Westminster as well, perhaps. Tomorrow, like the whole nation is watching the Queen's funeral and Justin Welby's going to stand up and preach. And I don't know what he's going to say. I could suggest Psalm 2. 
See how that goes down in a room full of kings, queens, presidents, prime ministers, and ambassadors. Serve the Lord. Bow down and kiss him. Don't set yourself up in opposition to him. That man needs our prayers. And I suggest we do that tonight. You can do it anytime. There's no point doing it after Monday. So let's, let's do it. Oh, you sometimes, have you ever done those retrospective prayers? I don't know what's happened, Lord, but I pray that it's gone well. <laughs> I don't know what the Lord makes of that. Um, but the Lord is sovereign. We see it in creation, we see it in Scripture, and we see it in the life of Jesus. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. The purposes of the Almighty God are focused and centred on his Son, who lived and was executed on a cross. If the sovereign Lord can work through that, as all the nations, as it were, gathered, Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel, they all gathered and conspired against the Lord's anointed, and yet, out of that situation, God brings salvation for countless millions of people, then we have a God who's sovereign. We have a God who's in control. And I don't think our problem is that we might be in danger of overemphasizing that. I wonder if what squashes prayer is when accidentally we believe that something else is sovereign, that someone else is in control of absolute. Well, I mean, what's the point in praying if basically it's Putin who's in control and he's going to decide how things unfold from here? There's no point praying if it's just about the most powerful political elites and what they decide to do or not do, because they'll decide. But it might be a little bit closer to home. It might be, well, what's the point praying if your bottom line is my kind of health? That's in control. My health dictates what I can expect in life. I mean, so what's the point in praying? And so maybe there's just a few people here today who need to be reminded, if you've had one of those horrible diagnosis moments and you're on the roller coaster of thinking emotionally, what on earth's going to happen now? Because the doctors have said, I'm not telling you exactly what's going to happen and I'm not encouraging you to be reckless, but remember that doctors are not sovereign and they don't know everything, which they probably acknowledge themselves. It's just in our way of thinking, it becomes, well, if the doctor said it, that's what's going to happen. And then something like cancer becomes sovereign. I mean, what's the point in praying? I, I don't know what happened. I guess the cancer will decide. I know somebody, after being diagnosed with cancer, we just made sure that the letter confirming the diagnosis was left on the floor. And every now and again, she'd just walk on top of it. As her reminder to herself, I'm not paying it too much respect, 
I'm not believing that it's ultimately sovereign over my life. And we don't know what will happen. We will trust God who knows and is in control and who is good. So can't, don't let cancer be sovereign in your life. God is in control. Don't let money be your sovereign. Well, we would really go for it, but the bottom line is the money. How much do we have? How much don't we have? I'd love to be one of those people who could just like, in some carefree fashion, live by faith and do something crazy for Jesus. But obviously, money's in control. If the money's not there, now I'm not suggesting going to be crazily reckless because the preacher said, but I'm challenging you to trust your God. Not money. God knows how to take it away. God knows how to provide it in miraculous circumstances. If God is calling you to some remarkable step of new obedience and it scares the life out of you, go trust Jesus and take that step and see how he backs you up. We don't know exactly what will happen. You don't know if you'll suddenly be, your bank balance goes crazy. You don't have to be one of those people that just drops it into conversation all the time. I'm living by faith. I'm living by faith. I'm living by faith. Do you want to give me anything? I'm going to live by faith then. Trust God. So I don't know why you're using that voice. <laughs> Trust God. We believe he's in control. Just look at the bulk of their prayer. I'm going to land with this. The bulk of their prayer is just focused on God and how glorious he is. So when we gather like this, the bulk of our time is going to be worship building our own faith, reminding ourselves of who it is we address. And then you find, right at the end, this relatively brief request. Remember their threats, Lord. Help us to be bold. Come back to that more another time. Do some more. You've been powerfully at work, O oh Lord, in those two guys who went into the temple that day and stopped by a man who was looking for something and he was then healed in the name of Jesus. And they've just responded. I mean, this is brilliant. Isn't this brilliant? You've got the most powerful people in that nation scared of public opinion. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what they'd happened. The most powerful authorities were scared witless. The people with apparently no power, no authority, ordinary, unschooled Peter and John are like bold as brass. Which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And they get back and they talk to all their mates and all their mates go in prayer, we want to be like that, Lord. Peter and John aren't saying, like, if you like, do something amazing, if you make me feel tremendous, um, if, if, if you do lots of signs and wonders, and, and if I wake up in the morning and just feel like Iron Man, um, then, and Lord, in, only in those circumstances, then, of course I can speak boldly for you. You see how the prayer for boldness can just become passive. 
That's not what they're doing. Two people come back and they report what's happened and everyone's like, yeah, that's the, that's the way we're going. We're going to speak, Lord. When we speak, help us to be bold. Help us to speak freely. But we got a plan. We're going to do it. And as the book of Acts unfolds, we see more and more people living a bold and courageous life for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray like there's no tomorrow. Well, that sounds a bit daft in the context. Let's pray like there's no tomorrow. Let's pray our hearts out. Let's pray with faith. Let's pray because we've, 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 we've remembered how awesome God is. Let's pray because we've listened to some other people. We say, yeah, I'm going to pray like Terry. I'm going to trust God. Maybe there's just a few guys amongst us really living in that way. Well, let's go be like them. Let's, go, let's trust God. Let's seek him. And let's allow ourselves to be woken up to what he wants to do. Amen. Was that a bit long? <laughs> Points two and three to follow at the prayer meeting. Let's stand. If the band would like to come and lead us in something wonderful. I'm just going to suggest we actually spend this time just seeking God. I'm going to pray for Justin Welby. We're going to pray for us as a church. We're going to pray for the nation.